the fault, I, I would say, on technology leaders, on maybe IT as an organization, is not taking the time to ask why. Like if somebody's not using the system the way we intended it to be used, or using some sort of offline workaround, we should be spending time to understand like why is that? My mom's by nature uh, a very quiet person, but she's never going to be the loudest person in the room. But I also learned from her that you can still be a very effective leader, being a, even though you're quiet, right? You don't have to be that loud sort of type A personality that's going to walk into a room and dominate the conversation um, to be a leader. Welcome to the Change Agent Podcast. My name is Nathan Lesnowski. I am your host. This is the podcast where we talk about the transformative leaders who are taking their business to the next level, that are translating the mission of their business into greater capabilities with technology. And we're going to dig into some really awesome topics today. We've had awesome guests on this program. We have talked about the transformation of healthcare, about DevOps, we've talked about security and data, we've talked about armored cars, we've talked about the boat business and how they're looking at technology. And this is going to be no different. A really fantastic conversation with a great person and great leader, Anthony DeCruz. Anthony is the Senior Vice President of IT and PMO at HSA Bank. And he is doing lots of interesting things within the tech community, both at HSA and within the United Way community. Welcome to the program today. Thank you, Nathan. Glad to be here. So I'm glad that you're here. Yeah. Um, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Like, yeah. Who are you? What makes you who you are? What makes me who I am? Yeah, so as you mentioned, um, Senior Vice President of IT and PMO at HSA Bank. Um, we're a, a bank based here in Milwaukee that um, specializes in um, consumer-directed healthcare accounts. So uh, think of things like a health savings account, a flexible spending account, um, HSAs, that's where the name comes from. So things that are um, typically tied to your benefits um, in, in some way and um, usually have uh, sp special tax treatments associated with them. And really our mission is to help people um, save and spend their healthcare dollars uh, more wisely. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, yeah, that's I've been with the, the bank about uh, four years now. Uh, prior to that, spent a number of years uh, mostly in the uh, manufacturing industrial engineering um, industry, uh, both here in the US and also spent some time uh, overseas. Um, but yeah, always kind of in the IT field, uh, started my career as a developer and uh, and still enjoy digging into uh, some of those details uh, when I get a chance. Oh, awesome. Um, how would you how would you contrast that switch actually? You know, you, you had been in manufacturing and yep. a whole lot of really interesting challenges there into a really important mission, helping people with the financials associated with healthcare. Like, what was what's that switch like, and how would you contrast those two those two domains from a technology perspective? Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, you know, in some ways, very very different. Um, you know, when I was working in manufacturing and industrial engineering, a lot of focus from a technology perspective was saying, "Yep, we need to keep keep systems and running." Um, but at the end of the day, job one is making sure a product ships out the door. Mm -hmm. um, in banking and in the financial services industry, your product is technology. Mm -hmm. 
right? If your systems aren't available, you're essentially shut for business, right? Nobody's going back and, and writing in a ledger, to, you know, kind of do debits and credits in a, in a ledger anymore. Um, so I, you know, I, I think from that aspect, definitely um, a, a huge switch. Um, but in a lot of other areas, I, I've also found a lot of commonality and a lot of lessons um, that I learned uh, in manufacturing that are just as applicable um, in terms of you know, running IT systems, running an IT organization, um, almost like a factory, right? We've got work that comes in and we have to deliver that for our customers as an IT or the technology organization. Mm -hmm. And so kind of running that through, um, when you kind of step back and look at it conceptually, and a lot of things that we talk about today in technology with Agile, and we talk about Kanban boards and all of those things, actually have their roots in manufacturing. They go back to um, lean manufacturing principles. We talk about lean software engineering, lean portfolio management, and all the principles you can, when you start reading about it and going back into the history of it, um, came out of the manufacturing space and the whole you know, Toyota production system that became kind of the de facto standard in how you run manufacturing. Um, so it's kind of funny um, when you start getting into this and go, I remember being in a plant 20 years ago and getting trained on you know, Kanban mm -hmm. and lean, lean manufacturing systems. And it's a lot of the same stuff when you're talking about <laughs> software delivery. Who would have thought, right? So, <laughs> so yeah, a lot of similarities there in that aspect. So you can pull that in to how you organize the IT organization to make them more lean and more, yep. and, and more rapid in the way that they deliver their capabilities to their internal customers and exactly. efficient and so on. Yeah, exactly. Right. And that's, and you know, I, I joined HSA Bank at a time where, I mean, the bank had been growing um, tremendously uh, and I think was at a, an inflection point in a sense of, you know, just realizing that that growth and some of the, the systems, the processes that had sustained the bank up to that point um, weren't necessarily going to be able to sustain us going forward. Yeah. Right. And so, again, I think, you know, some of my experience having worked in much larger organizations um, with, you know, just knowing um, how to run IT at scale and build an IT organization with the, with the processes, with the structure um, to support. Uh, kind of the ongoing growth. And that's been a lot of my focus the last few years as, uh, as I've been in this role. And maybe the things to avoid, right? And maybe the things to avoid, hopefully. Hopefully I've been able to avoid some of the mistakes uh, that, uh, that I've made and I've seen in the past. What do, you think, uh, what do you think were the most important things that were instrumental in creating a, an organization that can scale for you at HSA? Yeah, I think, um, you know, a few things. It's... Um, You've got to start slow, right? And to get fast, you kind of have to start slow. Mm -hmm. um, and you have to kind of focus on, on the basics. Um, you're not going to be, when you, we talk about agile software, you know, velocity and agile delivery and stuff like that, just realizing that you're not going to achieve um, those high levels of velocity uh, when you start. So it's, it's really, you know, the, the crawl, walk, run thing. And, and getting the team and getting the organization to realize that, yeah, we've got to start slowly, kind of build that muscle memory of how do we do this? And, um, and you really want to focus on that because you want to get it right. Um, you know, maybe kind of use the sports training analogy is, you know, whatever you're in, like 
if you're learning how to swim, like you want to get, if you want to get into competitive swimming, you want to make sure that you you're learning the strokes right mm -hmm. um, in the beginning. Um, because if you don't, then you're more than likely you're going to hurt yourself when you try and get into competitive swimming. So, ah, you mean not like I did, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think we, we've all been there, right? Yeah. We, we want to be, I used to play tennis growing up and, you know, you, you watch the great tennis players and they're serving at 100 miles an hour. Like, I want to do that, right? And then you try and do it and you go, ow, yeah. I probably shouldn't have done that. That didn't work, right? <laughs> that, that didn't, that didn't work so great. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of focusing on the basics and then building building from there, which sometimes is hard for an organization because everyone wants to get there right away and they're like, come on, we can, you know, why do we need to spend time doing all this? So that I, I think is one of those things that um, hopefully I've, I've brought and I know I've, I've learned from my past of, mm -hmm. you know, start slow, uh, kind of build from there and then the, the velocity will come. Developing the sort of institutional muscle memory in a way. Exactly. Yep. Yep. That's a really good way of putting it. Absolutely. And so when you think about the institutional muscle memory, yeah. How much of that is people and the way that they need to work together mm -hmm. to establish a rhythm and a culture and a way that we get things done here in an efficient way? Yep. And how much is it the combination of that with well-documented processes that are leaned out? Like a, an, an optimized process matched with optimized people? Or does that kind of help me with that breakdown? Yeah, it, it definitely is a combination, right? Um, I think especially when you're starting and you're trying to teach people uh, a new way of, of behaving, a new way of operating, having those documented processes are always helpful. Mm -hmm. um, because it, it serves as, as a training tool, it serves as a reminder um, for folks. Um, it can also serve as uh, kind of a, a checklist or you know, guardrails um, to make sure that, hey, have we checked all the boxes right before we release um, software into production. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it uh, it's definitely helpful. Over time, then um, that becomes ingrained in people. Right. Right. And then you don't really have to kind of stop and, you know, check every, um, every box on the list because people kind of know and they're able to kind of run through it um, almost, you know, automatically without really become second nature. Um, but still, it's having those processes uh, are also really helpful because you're always bringing new people onto the team, people are moving into new roles, um, and then you get into situations in terms of just um, backups and redundancy, right? Joe's always the one that does this, Joe knows how to do it great, but uh, he's out today. Um, and, uh, you know, now somebody else is stepping in, it's great to have those processes documented mm -hmm. um, so that somebody else can step in, pick it up and run with it with the same quality that Joe's always done it. Exactly. Yeah. How much of moving into HSA was empowering people, you know, enabling them to be the best versions of themselves and take on new roles or take on roles that, that you're creating for them or like, like moving that, that the people into a new directional space? Yeah. And that's, that's always been important for me in um, any of my, and all of my leadership roles, right? Just giving people the opportunity. Cause I, I truly believe that instinctively everyone wants to do the right thing all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and everyone comes to work every day wanting to do a good job. Right. And so if you provide them with the, the vision of the, the why, right? Why are we, why is this important? Um, and and the proper, the tools, the training that they need, um, people will step up, 
right? And so I've always tried as they come in to um, really adopt um, that philosophy of, you know, listen, learn, lead, right? First of all, kind of listen, listen to the people that have been there, the people that have been doing this job for a while, right? To understand, um, you know, what's, what's going well, where their challenges are, because that's where I think when you think about trying to improve processes, improve throughput, is understanding from the people actually doing the job, like, hey, where are you having those challenges? And if, if something's not working right, it's usually either because the process isn't right or there's no process to find, mm -hmm. um, or perhaps the people haven't been provided with the right training or the right tools to do it, right? It's, it's almost never because somebody just doesn't feel like doing it or they wanna do it wrong, right? So I think giving people that, um, that empowerment, trusting in them, right? And then asking them like, hey, what do you need, right? If this is what we want to achieve, Right, what do you think? How how should we go about this? Empowering them to be be involved in defining the process, um, but then also asking them, right? Well, what do you need? If this is what we want to achieve. Like, what do you need to be successful? Um, and I always view as myself, and I tell my team, right? My role as a leader is to remove those roadblocks and to provide the teams with what they need to be successful. You just dropped like a, a huge dime there on <laughs> that on the um, people instinctively want to do good work. They instinctively yep. want to be the best version of themselves. Like I think sometimes we miss that. Like sometimes we just sort of like we we sometimes like I say that we as like a leader, leader sometimes look at people and say you know what can be cynical. Yeah, right? they're not working that hard. They don't want to do hard good work. They don't want to do this. But, but that is a really strong point for us to remember always as leaders that, you know, people instinctively want to be that best version of themselves. And if, and if they're not, maybe it's on us to help them to have that opportunity. Yeah. You know, one of the, one of the lessons I learned pretty early in my career, right. And with software, right. And there was always, and, and there always has <laughs> been uh, kind of this call it complaint gripe or whatever of, well, the user is just going around the system but they're not, they're not putting the data in the right way in the system or they're doing it outside the system. Mm -hmm. right? That's always been with any large projects. Like, and I think the fault, I, I would say, on technology leaders, on maybe IT as an organization, is not taking the time to ask why. Like if somebody's not using the system the way we intended it to be used or using some sort of offline workaround, we should be spending time to understand like, why is that? Um, and, and then try and address that issue, right? Because it's, if you make it easy for somebody to use the system and well, I shouldn't say that. I would say if you make it easy for somebody to get their job done, they're always going to instinctively choose that <laughs> right. just fat, right? Nobody wants to come to work and do double work. Like I got to put this data into this system and then I got to go update that spreadsheet with the same information. Right? If you just make it easy for them to, to do it the right way the first time, that's what everyone wants. So I think that's where I've learned in my, in my experience where maybe we've been a little blind if, from an IT organization always looking at it and going, well, this, you should just be using the system. Why aren't you using the system? Truly. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing about like shadow IT. Sometimes yep. people are like, 
oh, that shadow IT out there is causing all these problems. It's like, well, maybe that means I haven't enabled them right. Exactly. And I'm not even harnessing their unique capabilities to leverage technology in their job role right. Instead, I'm like sort of boxing them in. Boxing them in, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and I think some of those some of those best ideas on how you can actually leverage technology and solve business problems come from organizations like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, right, you know, whether you call it shadow IT, I know that's, you know, or it's, you know, it's sort of the um, democratization of IT. Yeah, it's just, you know, letting people out there, giving them the tools um, to use the best way they see, they see fit. I think that time is coming now where technology is a verb, not a noun. It's not a department anymore. Exactly. Right? Like, technology is part of the tools you use to get your job done. I, I totally agree with that. And I think, you know, any any leader uh, in the organization, it doesn't matter what what function or what area you're in, everyone needs to have sort of that base level of um, technical competency or technical knowledge because mm-hmm. it is it is so pervasive. It is it is everywhere in our in our workplaces and our everyday lives. Right. So. Yeah, there's no getting away from it. So speaking of enablement, of mm-hmm. uh, helping people to be able to be empowered to do more, of giving them the right tools, you're involved in something that's really exciting that we want to talk about is the United Way. And yes. particularly the United Way Tech for Good and Tech Tech United Council. Yeah. yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, no, I'm great. glad, uh, really glad you asked that. Yeah, so... Um, the, the Tech United is, um, I'll start there, is a donor group, part of the United Way here in uh, Milwaukee and Waukesha County that brings together technology professionals or people interested in, in technology um, to figure out ways on how we can harness those professionals um, to support the mission and the work of United Way. Um, and along with that, provide uh, opportunities for tech professionals in our community to network with each other, to get to know each other. Um, and one of the things that um, I'm really proud of that uh, Tech United has done in the last couple of years is create uh, something that we call the Tech for Good Marketplace. Um, and really this came out of an idea that um, uh, another great company, and great United Way supporter here in our community, um, Syslogic um, and uh, Tina Chang, um, they've been doing this for a while. Right, where they were offering uh, pro bono services to um, agencies. And they were working with the United Way to identify agencies, nonprofit agencies that needed help with something technology related, whether it was uh, developing a, a database to keep track of their clients um, or help with you know, some uh, projects like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Syslogic had been doing that uh, for a few years, uh, working in partnership with the United Way. Um, and that really kind of, you know, seeded the idea of saying, well, how do we scale that? How do we help? Because one thing that working with the United Way, we realized that a lot of these agencies, uh, I mean, they're focused on doing just amazing work in the community. But technology is not a core competency for them. Um, a lot of them don't have Internal IT departments, they may have one or two people that kind of help set up their computers and, and printers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're all working on a shoestring budget. They really don't have the resources to invest in a lot of large um, IT systems or, or services. Um, and so we said, you know, how can we help? How can the members of Tech United help? And what it started with was actually uh, something we call 
kind of the guest CIO program. Um, and we started by partnering uh, technology leaders uh, with these agencies to help them just do um, an assessment of some of the their current you know setup, what kind of technology they had in place, uh, some of the challenges uh, that they had, and then help them figure out you know some opportunities. Um, a lot of times, um, these agencies weren't even aware of what was possible. Mm -hmm. Right, working with lots of spreadsheets and documents and all of that, and a you know technology professional coming in and go, you know what, if we just set up a simple database and put all of this in, you could get all of these reports that you wanted in a matter of minutes as opposed to you know hours that it was taking to pull all this data together. Just simple things like that, just because they've never been exposed to those kind of um, capabilities, just didn't know what they didn't know. Um, so we started with that. A couple of our members um, really took the lead there in developing uh, playbooks and templates, right, to help with these guest CIOs um, go in and, and do their assessments. And then coming out of that, um, what we did was identify some opportunities, some projects that we could say, like, hey, this agency needs some help to setting up a wireless network, Got it. right? Or they need some help. They've got a really aging uh, on-prem email system. And they're just looking to you know, move it to Office 365, kind of subscription-based, something like that. Um, and then we um, kind of put that out to our member groups, um, to companies um, that we work with, that you know, United Way supporters, to say, hey, is there um, somebody out there that can help this agency uh, with this? And we put it out to um, different companies, individuals for some uh, smaller projects, um, or like I said, just, you know, um, uh, just uh, groups of individuals. Um, and, and we had uh, some really good success with that. Um, and, and now, right now, what we're doing is really trying to look at how we scale that up to the next level, uh, right, to identify um, other resources, uh, people like project managers, um, business analysts, um, resources like that, that um, what we're hoping to build is kind of a roster um, of saying, you know, hey, these are experienced project managers in our community that are willing to volunteer their time. Mm -hmm. So if an agency has a project that's, that they're running um, and they just need somebody to help them run the project, to, to struct, come up with a plan, help them execute the project, that you know, we've got somebody who's willing to spend a few hours a week helping them do that. Um, also, um, companies um, like Six Logic and others that have come up and said, you know, hey, we're, we're willing. Um, you know, we'll offer some of our employees time to do some of this development effort. We had a couple of projects recently, um, pretty basic things, just setting up um, SharePoint sites. Mm -hmm. um, and then we've also um, been trying to partner with colleges in the area, um, looking at, as part of the coursework, Right, having teams of students take on some of these initiatives, um, either on a volunteer basis or um, part of their coursework. Um, so doing, I think, one of the great things that United Way is able to do is to connect different stakeholders, right? To see a broader need in our community um, and say, okay, how can we solve for this? Because individually, um, we can do quite a bit um, to help in our community, but when you bring these different stakeholders together, then you can really make um, a, a multiplier effect yeah. in our community. That's really 
it's really a smart idea because so often I think the, the connections that are made in nonprofit space is I just happen to know this guy, absolutely, or yeah. person, yep. whoever I'm working with. And the only way you even know about, and it might not even be a fit, yep. right? But like the only way you know about those connections is you just happen to know and are talking with someone about it. Yep. And there's so much more good that could be done if we simply knew about the opportunities and connect, mm -hmm. connect people who are willing with opportunities where they can help. Right. So Absolutely. That's a, that's a perfect way to be able to kind of bring those two willing parties together to create something that wouldn't have gotten done because they just didn't know about each other. There's nobody to that. Absolutely. Right. And I think it, it also, you know, it's a great way because the, I would say the membership of Tech United really is a group of people that are passionate about technology and they're also passionate about doing good in our community. Mm -hmm. And so this provides for them as well, kind of that avenue to say, hey, how can I use as a technology professional, how can I use my skills, my talents um, in a way, right? I mean, everyone does and, and it's awesome that people go, you know, and you know, serve at a soup kitchen or they're, you know, packing meal kits. I mean, all great stuff. Um, but I think a lot of technology professionals are going like, okay, I've got these these unique skills. Mm -hmm. How can I leverage that to help in our community? Totally. It's like Doctors Without Borders for, for uh, technology. For technology. For technology. <laughs> right, exactly. Which yeah. is which is exciting, right? Because yeah, we can all we can all do things that um, that we all should do. Exactly. Right? But uh, in addition to that, doing things where we have unique skills is an area where there's scarcity. Yeah. If we can provide that to help accelerate these activities, man, it, that's a great way to bring it together. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you're also involved in an area where you're, you're not only helping the nonprofits to execute, but also talking about how United Way can help lift up those who need additional assets or capabilities in the community. Can you, can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, yeah, so that is um, another initiative area uh, of our United Way uh, called Tequity. Um, and, and really, Tequity is focused on uh, bridging or addressing um, issues of the digital divide in our community. Uh, and again, I think you know, a lot of this came out of um, the pandemic, uh, where when schools went virtual, schools shut down, right? Um, you know, MPS, all the um, schools in the area switched to online classes. Um, but what quickly became apparent is that not all the students had devices or access to be able to participate in those online classes. Mm -hmm. um, and so there was a bit of a scramble early on during the pandemic where the United Way tried to step in um, and quickly source um, equipment, laptops, hotspots, those kinds of things, and, and did a, a nice job working with, with MPS and other schools in the area uh, to get those distributed um, to um, primarily focused on school age students. But what I think that brought to the forefront was there's a larger issue here with access to, um, to technology uh, in terms of you know, equipment. Uh, a lot of households um, only had um, cell phones, mm. right? And while those cell phones, they have data plans, um, and you can do a lot on a smartphone, but not the best for you know, learning if you're trying to you know, go to school, uh, whether that's K through 12 or even college. Um, and unfortunately, there's a lot of services out there um, which may or may not be available online. Um, if they are available online, definitely 
not optimized for a smartphone experience, right? Yeah. So still very sort of PC browser-based um, experiences. Um, and then um, connectivity was the other issue, which unfortunately, right, what I, I realized, and I think a lot of people realized, is that um, that broadband connectivity that a lot of us kind of take for granted um, that we have at home and we have at work uh, just isn't available in all parts uh, of our community. Um, and, and then there's uh, just the, um, the ability or the training, right? Uh, a lot of people just having never had the opportunity or never being exposed to technology just really struggled with um, trying to figure things out. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I think back to the early days of the pandemic and a lot of us struggled with, you know, Zoom and, and Teams and all of that, right? Uh, you know, I, you're on mute, right? I think we still hear that. Yeah, teachers and students alike, right? <laughs> teachers and students alike. So, you know, it was all these aspects. It was um, equipment, connectivity, um, and uh, ability. And so really Techwity is focused on um, trying to address all of those aspects. And then in addition, um, the advocacy, uh, because um, there are resources available. Um, the, the federal bill that was recently passed, the infrastructure improvement uh, bill, actually has funding within it to expand broadband access. Um, and that's great. Um, but knowing how to tap into those funds and, uh, you know, how do you apply for those? Um, who's eligible? You know, how do you get? So that's another area which through TechOD, the United Way is trying to step up and, and help address. And again, focusing on what they do best, which is bringing kind of this diverse group of stakeholders, right? Understanding what the needs are in the community, um, finding partners um, that can fill those needs um, advocating both at the state um, and local level um, to get those, to get the support, to get the funding um, for those kinds of things. Um, so yeah, that's a that's another great um, initiative. I think that uh, you know the United Way has been um, really ramping up on, um, trying to expand that. Um, and I think you know back to what we were talking about earlier. It's just I think becoming so so apparent that that base level of technical skills and technical competency um, is so important, regardless of what you're going to do in the future. Um, I, I really view, you know, that technical skill as, you know, sort of the, the high school GED. Yeah, in a sense. Day, in a yes. sense, right? Um, if you don't have that, um, your options in terms of a career or job prospects are severely limited today, and I think are just going to be even more limited uh, in the future. Yeah, it was surprising for me, and I suppose I should have known this, right? But it was surprising to me to realize how much the lack of tech accessibility was a problem. I mean, living out in the middle of nowhere like I do, and still having broadband, right? And you know having in, in many ways like a very privileged existence. My daughter taking a college class online from a, yep. her own room. And like, this is pretty, like you forget that all that investment goes there because those are the people that can pay the, they bills, can pay the bills, right? Yep. But there's this whole other set of people that you're talking about that like they can't pay the bills or they're in different life, life situations that the, the, the kids or people who are trying to upskill into this workspace, like they, they should have as much opportunity as everyone should have. Absolutely, absolutely, right. And that's that's where, uh, you know, I think the United Way is trying to to help 
um, to get some of that investment, right? To encourage that investment or fund through bills like this uh, infrastructure improvement bill to get the funding so that some of that basic infrastructure, that broadband access is available mm -hmm. um, in, in all neighborhoods. Um, and, and then, you know, people have the equipment um, that they need um, and also the, they have access to the, the training so that they know how to use um, the equipment, know how to use um, the technology that's uh, available to them. Especially in professional sense. Exactly. Right. And, uh, and yeah, it's, so this was something that, you know, started um, out of need focused on um, schools and school age kids, mm -hmm. um, but has really grown from there. Because if you think about it, um, you know, applying for a job today, almost everywhere, um, it doesn't matter what job it is. Um, they're asking people to apply online. Yeah. Right. Um, even those first interviews, do you have a LinkedIn account, right? Right. Do you have a LinkedIn account? You know, go on the website and, and you know, submit your application there. Um, the first interviews are being done over Zoom calls or, or Teams calls, right? So um, so even though, you know, things have opened back up for the most part uh, coming out of the pandemic, but a lot of those things that um, we put in place because of the pandemic have stayed in place. And even that's a disparity, right? Right. Okay, let's say the first interviews over a Zoom call. You got candidate one who's sitting in a private room, got a nice gear on broadband, dressed up nice. Yeah. You know, and then you've got another person who doesn't have all those amenities, and they're trying to compete in a, in a look and see kind of world with with this other person. person. And this this lack of tech equity again is like an impact on them. Absolutely, absolutely right. You know, they may be you know sitting at their dining room table mm -hmm. trying to do this call and. Uh, you know, have other members of their family walking around behind them or, or whatever. And you're absolutely right, right? That impression that that conveys between candidate one and candidate two, and a lot of, you know, hiring managers, a lot of companies are going to go, yeah, you know, I think I'm going to go with the other candidate who's got the setup, got the setup at home. Because, mm -hmm. you know, chances are that they may be thinking of, hey, this person either is going to be working remotely or we want them to have the option to work remotely. Um, and so, you know, where do I want? Do I want the person that has the nice setup at home and they're going to be able to work and, and focus? Or this other person that might be distracted because they don't have the setup at home? So it's, uh, um, unfortunately, it's uh, in a way, I guess, a, a little bit of potential discrimination that we all have to be sensitive to. Absolutely. Um, so you, all this stuff, man, is, is uh, your, your, your leadership in the community and that leadership as, a, as an inspiration to many of us other IT leaders who are thinking about how we can bring not only the leadership we do in the business we're in, but into the broader community to rise all the, sh all the ships. Mm -hmm. That is awesome. And you. Just, can, can, can you tell us a little bit about who's inspired you to be able to have those qualities? I mean, both at what you're doing professionally and then how you've translated that into that community leadership. You know, who's inspired you to do that? Yeah, they've been... Um... There've been a, quite a few people that have inspired me at different times in my career, but I think it a lot of it goes back and starts with with my parents. Um, uh, you know, very very different personalities, um, right? My dad was always one that uh, you know really talked about you know doing the right thing, doing it the right way, doing it for the right reasons, and and fighting for what is right. Mm -hmm. Right. So that sense of um, 
you know, when you're blessed with, with opportunity, when you're blessed with talent treasures, you have a responsibility um, to give back, to, to pay back. Um, and part of that, part of the way you fulfill that responsibility is by, by fighting for what's right and doing what's, what's right. Um, and so I think that was probably some of my earliest inspiration. Um, some of my leadership inspiration, um, I would say, um, in addition to my dad, um, came from my mom. My mom's, by nature, uh, a very quiet person, but she's never going to be the loudest person in the room. But I also learned from her that you can still be a very effective leader, being a, even though you're quiet, right? You don't have to be that loud sort of type A personality that's going to walk into a room and dominate the conversation um, to be a leader. Because um, there are many different leadership styles. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I found, uh, you know, for me at least, that quiet leadership, um, I feel can be a more sustainable style of, uh, of leadership. Very true. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, very early on, um, my maternal grandmother was another one. Um, you know, my maternal grandfather passed away um, suddenly at a pretty young age, leaving my grandmother with, um, you know, a single mom. Um, raising uh, kids and she had never worked outside the, the home before um, but talk about uh, you know needing to learn to be a leader uh, this was in probably the 1950s early 1960s in, in Malaysia at the time which was definitely a third world country right so talk about a single mom in a third world country at that time needing to learn very quickly on how to be a, a strong a strong leader wow. <laughs> and provide for her family um, so yeah, I was blessed in that sense growing up uh, around some very strong female leaders um, and being able to, to learn from uh, my grandmother and my mother. Um, but throughout my, my career, um, you know, one person that comes to mind, I think in sort of my, I think of as my, my formative years as a leader, a gentleman named Jeff Edwards, um, who was the president of, um, in, in Asia of uh, our division. Uh, and he was another one that really, for me, exemplified uh, that quiet leadership, but also that care for your people. Mm. And I think he's the one that I, I really saw modeling um, this principle of if you take care of your people, the results will come. And if you empower the people, listen to your people, empower them, trust that they always want to do the right thing. And as a leader, you just have to figure out how to enable them to do the right thing. Um, so, so Jeff was definitely um, someone, and then I've had a number of other leaders. My two of the leaders that I work for right now, Tim Patnod and Chad Wilkins at HSA Bank, um, I think also um, really embody a lot of those um, those characteristics. And so that just on a daily basis just reinforces for me um, really the importance of some of those principles. Man, that was those are all awesome stories, especially especially your uh, talking about your mother. I think you may have the same mother. <laughs> um, <laughs> Very much so. Like uh, my mother was very much uh, a quiet leader, right? Yep. A person who was working very dutifully uh, out of love for her family. In many ways, behind the scenes, but she was the one who was really the heart of our family. Absolutely. Um, and we would never have been the same. Or aren't she's still around? But wouldn't been, we would not have been the same without her and that and the things that she was doing. Yep. Um, a, lot, a lot of mothers are like that. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. <laughs> sometimes thankless um and i appreciate too the the comment you made about 
Um, sometimes it's not the like big leader who comes in and owns the whiteboard that is the sustainable leader. Sometimes you yeah. need to combine those two personalities. You know, you might need might need one, you might need another, and they might need to be together in order to be able to get some some of the things you need done done. Right, right. I think that's you know that's the that's the beauty, that's the benefit of when we talk about diversity, right? It's mm. that diversity of of thought of di of approach as well, right? Because you're absolutely right. Sometimes you do need that that strong um, dominant um, kind of uh, approach to really shake things up, to to really you know rip up the playbook as it stands today and and start again, uh, combined with um, kind of that the more um, quiet, measured approach mm -hmm. of saying, you know, hey, let's let's figure this out kind of step by step um, and, and put the, the processes, put the organization in place. Um, so I think there's a, there's a place for um, all of that. Um, it's just knowing, you know, which which style to tap into at the right time. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the, the program today. You are just a great leader and I appreciate all the detail you went into. You know, thank you very much. This was, uh, was great, um, great to be on. And uh, yeah, I've, I've loved um, listening to some of the earlier podcasts and I look forward to the ones in the future. Awesome. Well, thank you. And, uh, and thank you to all of our guests and uh, listeners for joining us today on the Change Engine Podcast.